welcome back to the Thundersticks podcast. I'm your host, Ben Kreider, and draft trades are upon us. And what do you know? The Oklahoma City Thunder are at the beginning of the list. I'm going to be talking about their trade they made with Denver, what they got back in the package, what they gave away, what some of the implications are for this trade, and what to look for heading forward with the roster. And to top it all off, guys, I have a very special offer from my good friends over at DraftKings Sportsbook, so make sure to stick around for that. Starting things out, though, had a scouting report on Jabari Smith posted earlier today. Make sure to give that a listen if you want a more in-depth analysis on the consensus number one draft choice. I have a pod ready for all the top three guys, Chet Holmgren, and then you have Paulo Bancaro coming in on Wednesday. Had to drop the double pod today, though, due to this trade. Oklahoma City has been basically pegged as the natural trade partner. I think that's what Keith Smith said. And there were other reports in a couple weeks ago where, you know, there was chatter Oklahoma City might be open to trading picks around. Not the two pick, but 12, 30, and 34 could be up for discussion. And whenever I saw this, I was looking at it from the perspective of maybe OKC wants to trade 30 and 34 to move up. We've seen a tendency for the franchise to do that. That's how they got JRE last year, trading 34 and 36 to get to pick number 32. And in the previous draft, you saw them go after Alexei Pokashevsky, trading 25, 28, and Ricky Rubio to get to pick 17. So it made sense for OKC to maybe throw those two picks out, try to get to pick 25 or something if they have a late first-round guy that they're really honed in on. That's more of a draft day move when you assess the board and you see a talent that you're really surprised slid that far. But OKC, they decided to go the early route in terms of kind of condensing their draft haul this year. As you all know, they have a very good collection. They had 2, 12, 30, and 34. That gives you a lot of playing room. And it gives you potentially four roster spots from four extremely valuable picks. Oklahoma City is the youngest team in the NBA. Four rookies would have made them even younger. But it also would have pushed the boundaries on their rotation. Because they entered this offseason basically with 13 surefire youngsters you know you could throw Derek Favors and Mike Muscala kind of in their own category as those veterans players like Kenrich Williams for example are more the middle ground but you could say that outside of Favors and Muscala everyone there was either on roster for um, you know the veteran purposes like they're not 30 plus years old or they're on their rookie contract or fairly new in the NBA trying to rig out some of that potential if you will. It would have been hard to bring on four different rookies, so they had to roll the dice here, and Sam Presti uncorked the trade with the Nuggets today. The Thunder traded away the 30th pick in the draft, a 2023 second round pick, and a 2024 second round pick as well. And when you break down uh, this deal, when it first got reported, there was no mention of... A couple things in this trade. In particular, what you found in those second round picks. Which second rounder was getting dished out um, on both of those years. And then also on the Nuggets side, some of their protections as well. 
I'm going to go out on a limb and say both that 2023 and 24 second would be the worst case scenario of the three second round picks they have in both of those respective years. So that'd be OKC. I think Houston might be bottled in there somewhere. And and there's one other team, maybe Miami, that um, you could throw in that mix. But I think it would be kind of the bottom of that board. It shouldn't be OKC's own. Anyways, they moved those picks out and they received a 2027 Denver Nuggets first round pick. Comes with some protections on it. And they also get power forward Jermichael Green. I think there's a few different elements to this deal. And on the surface level, I think that some might be a little bit unhappy that the Thunder did this. Obviously, trading out a first round pick. Are you just going to continue to push back? And then uh, along with that, you're also giving out two second round picks. So it's not like, you know, you're just moving one piece to get one back six years later. You had to, you know, ship out two seconds. Would they have used it? You know, that's up for discussion, obviously. But they had to move out three picks to get that one more valuable pick, I guess you could say, uh, based on what that board might look like. 2027 is very far out, though. Um, But I think you have to kind of read into the details as to why this is kind of a mutually beneficial trade. And it starts out just with the money. Oklahoma City has been working so far below the salary floor this year, it's not even funny. I think by the end of the season, they had over $20 million they had to spread across their roster just because they hadn't filled any gashes there. And right now, they are stooped about $31 million above that cap. And when you go to July 1st, that cap is now wiped. So this is when you see deals such as the SGA contract extension go into play, and they go from this team with so much money just they could throw away to a team that's actually operating over the salary cap because of extensions such as that. So taking on Green's contract, it has an $8.2 million option. I fully expect him to exercise that. It's going to go right into the space, and they're still going to have over $20 million that basically went uh, without a lot of anything going on there. So in terms of timeliness, it would make sense to pull off a trade like this now and uh, kind of get that cap situation uh, under under wraps because had they done this deal after July 1st, that's where you have to jump into some of the salary gymnastics they just haven't had to face the last two seasons because everyone has been working under their rookie-scale contract. In Denver's camp, this also makes sense financially. The big one is they are shed $6 million off luxury tax spending. And along with that, this might be even more valuable, depending on who you ask. They created an $8.2 million trade exception, which allows them to trade for a veteran or someone under that price mid-season. So that's a valuable contract to have when you look at other you know, trade exceptions around the market. When you look at contending teams or just teams in general, I'd say maybe 10 on a good day has a trade exception above like 6 mil right now and above 8 million, it probably narrows down about 7. So it really makes you a high bidder in terms of going after vets. And for Denver, they're obviously looking to contend. They're hoping to have Jamal back, Michael Porter Jr. as well. Guns blazing. They want to be 
you know, making some noise. So not only do they have that trade exception, they now have two first round picks at 21 and 30 that if they so choose, they could try to package again. And due to 21 being a lot further down, like OKC's premium pick was 30, Denver, they flip it where they have 21 and 30. They could try digging into the teens and try to get somebody that was expected to go lottery and just went into free fall mode if they would like to go that route. So it helps on both ends. I'd say for Denver, there's a lot more incentive. OKC kind of does it because they have the money right now and it allows them to pinch a later asset, which is the more valuable part for them. Um, and, and it's kind of reminiscent of the favors trade last draft day where OKC didn't have to offload any picks. They just got a free pick for favors. But uh, Utah, I mean, they needed to get some money shed off their luxury tax. Favors was making $9, $10 million. So they had to get rid of it. And just due to financial reasons, they didn't think he was worth that contract. Give him to OKC. Give him a pick for the road. And, and you kind of get the handshake done there. Same kind of construct, um, but obviously OKC did have to ship a piece away in pick number 30. I think the reason that the Thunder did this, though, is they just didn't have a roster spot they could envision with that pick, number one. Number two, pick 30 is guaranteed money for uh, the long future, right? Like When you sign a first-round pick, they are fully guaranteed for, I believe, their first two seasons, then you get into kind of that two plus two type of option, which if you picked up, you know, gets you into that third and fourth year of guaranteed money. If you don't want to place, let's say, seven million, um, actually, I think it would be closer to like eight million dollars. For the 30th pick, if you're going for four years, it's going to be around eight, nine million dollars. If you're not locking yourself up to that and you think with all these upcoming draft picks you just can't make it work moving that pick makes sense and the beauty of it is pick 34 is a non-guaranteed contract so if you take someone they don't do well in training camp or you're just not bought into them you can offload them in training camp you can offload them after the first season the second season just makes it a lot more flexible in terms of how you're able to utilize that roster and with their pick distribution it makes sense why. They now have two first-round picks in this draft class. In 2023, they have five, up to five, uh, if all protections somehow are not met. In 2024, they have three firsts. 2025, they have four firsts. 2026, they have three. And in 2027, they now have added their second first-round pick. So this gives you multiple cards in every single year over the next six drafts. No other team is able to say that right now. And if I'm doing some quick math here, that is going to give you 19 first-round picks from 2022 until 2027. So just multiple different shots at it. And due to some of these pick protections, like, for example, Detroit, if they're not top 16 next season, it ends up moving back a year. Like, that's probably not going to convey... So it's like a trickle down to where you can get things going even beyond this 2027 mark due to how the protections might end up working. One big key factor is what type of protection is placed onto this 2027 pick. If it's a top 25 protection, that is 
very silly. I think at, at minimum, you're looking at a top 20 protection for OKC to accept that offer. Lottery protected is where you are very happy as someone who would support the Thunder because pick 30 is the floor for that first round pick, obviously. If you're able to move up five spots off of that, you know, that's a win. Uh, it, it obviously depends on the draft and being so far out, you really couldn't pick out many guys from this 2027 draft class. You'll see how everything kind of develops moving forward. But if you weren't sold on what you could find in the late first, or you thought that talent would be at 34, makes sense to move back and you're going to get a better pick draft wise in all likelihood based on doing this move and just putting the, the pick on the back burner for a little bit and it helps even more because as we discussed the roster is going through a major crunch taking someone at 30 just is almost a snowball effect because if it's a guy who shows some flashes in his first season but isn't very productive now you're looking into next draft cycle where there are three more picks and he might be on the chopping block when you know, in 2027 or a couple seasons before, you would have given him a lot of attention during his rookie scale contract. So it takes a little bit of pressure off and it allows you to kind of reassess things in a little while. And think that's why, you know, you are kind of looking towards that. But also you have another player coming in, in Jermichael Green. And Jermichael Green, he's 31 going to be expiring next season if he picks up his option, which he definitely should. It's an $8.2 million option. Didn't have a good season with Denver at all last year. Probably the worst season he has had in a Nuggets jersey and beyond. He averaged 6.2 points and 4.2 rebounds this past season, and he shot 26.6% from downtown. He's a career 36.6% shooter from distance and you have to take into account that he averages about 2.2 attempts uh, in his career so it's not a very high volume but he was accurate on him and in years prior with the Nuggets at his first season he averaged over three attempts per game 3.4 attempts and he was a 40 percent three-point shooter prior to that point he played two seasons with the Clippers valuable as a bench figure with them he shot 41.3% in his first season with the Clips and 38.7% in his second season. So he was a solidified stretch for when you're looking at somebody who is a sneaky good like pick and pop artist. Jermichael Green is that guy. Now obviously he did not live up to that at all this past season. But if you're able to rekindle that and you keep him on the roster, that's a sturdy veteran who might be able to yield you some draft picks. Now the question becomes... Do you keep him in the training camp over some of these young guys? That's the first one. And number two is, let's say he has another kind of pickup season where he's averaging seven points, four rebounds off the bench, shooting 37% from downtown. Does that make him a player that you can trade for assets? Because in trade exceptions, basically the return will be a pick or something, you know, like it's not going to be a big, big time return for a guy like green. So just a second round pick or two would probably do it for 
Sam Presti to trade him. You know, just a good veteran guy to have. Is he the next, like, Trevor Ariza almost? Or is he another type of veteran where you can pump up the stock and move him out? Trevor Ariza, his situation was just, it was something, man. You know, expiring $15 million contract. Seems like that would have value come deadline day due to his playoff uh, rep, like resume, I guess. And just the expiring gets you... Uh, some creativity in the offseason. No one bid on it, and they just had to burn the $15 million. He didn't play. I would imagine Michael Green plays. But even if he is all right, does that make him someone you can net a second-round pick for? I'd say potentially. It definitely kind of centers around the teams. When you look at trade exceptions, and this comes from Al Babycakes. He's the one who got this one available on Twitter. He got the data ready, so I appreciate him for that. But he has listed out seven different teams that have a trade exception that could take on Jamichael Green. And for the most part, these are playoff teams. Two of them are kind of at a crossroads right now, but they're the Celtics, Nets, Mavericks, Pacers, Clippers, Trailblazers, and Jazz. Now, some of these exceptions are a lot bigger than what would take in Jamichael Green. The Celtics have a $17 million trade exception from Evan Fournier. Then there's a bit of a drop-off. The Nets are next at $11 million. Mavericks, $10.8 million. Pacers, $10.5 million. And then you trickle down into some of the other ones. CJ McCollum is the biggest with a $20.8 million exception for the Trailblazers. The thing is, I think they would probably want another player besides Jermichael Green. Um, so I I take Portland off the list. I think they'd want to use that for a bigger collection or try to create a bigger trade exception in the process. Some teams might not be able to find something that they want for the price range. Like you'll see trade exceptions expire all the time. Um, now for the Celtics, could they use some help at the four spot? If Jamichael Green can shoot, I'd say, sure. Now they do already have their their front court kind of situated. They have Al Horford, Grant Williams, Robert Williams, and they're able to filter in, obviously, that fourth option there with how they play Tatum at the four in some stints. So I don't really see them. Maybe the Brooklyn Nets as an option. We'll have to see how they are able to manage all their free agents. But Green is basically going to be a rotational four for you, and if you find value in him in a playoff situation, that's where you would consider dealing for him. The Mavericks, you know, if they're looking to space, they have the guy, or he was the quintessential guy when he got his contract in Davis Bertans. The Pacers, maybe. I mean, they like these types of guys, uh, like uh, Jamaica Green, but if they're rebuilding still, I don't see the reason the Clippers could get a reunion with him. And then there's obviously the Jazz who could get another valuable four in the system. It's a matter of just waiting and seeing. I think you might even be able to see him dealt if they add a third team or fourth team on. Just because this trade's not going to be official um, at this current moment. And they might wait until after the draft to actually etch this one into stone. Knowing how some of these transactions are actually concocted. It does give you a second asset, though, just due to 
you know, the skills Green possesses from downtown. My evaluation of it is this is just an overall solid move from the Thunder, and it gets their draft haul a little bit bigger whenever you're talking about the overall landscape of things. Because the pick was at 30, I think there's still valuable players in this class. There's always valuable players that are going to be at pick 30. But if they're not confident in it and they still think they're at 34 and they didn't think they could pick up both and have the roster spots for it, moving back to 2027 gets you another chip and it also allows a lot more of the board to become available in where that landing spot could actually lie at. Definitely want to look into the protections. Hopefully it's a lottery protected. Top 20 is where I would probably expect it to be at though. A lot contingents on those protections though on both sides. I still expect the haul for uh, the Nuggets to be back end second round picks which still have value but they're obviously not going to be as valuable as what you might be able to find off of the Thunders pick or the Rockets pick if it conveys down to that area. I think this kind of tells you that OKC would be standing pat at 34 and not looking to jump up into the 20s. That doesn't mean a thing when you're talking Presti because he has all the ammo needed to basically get wherever he needs to get at. We talked about the 19 picks until 2027 and 34 still has a good amount of value. You need to add other picks of course if you want to get into the teens or the early 20s but you know it's a good starting point for teams that could be hanging around the the teens or early 20s so you always got to keep it in in the view but just based on how the rotation looks it doesn't make much sense to get another draft pick in this class especially if it's trading 34 and you end up getting two extra picks out of it kind of crosses out what this deal did in a sense and this deal is more about the patience game the nuggets are very good at selecting players so this could be a situation where people look at this two years down the line and are just absolutely dumbfounded as to why this happened denver getting a really good player in this class and okc having to wait until 2027 it's just part of the game here and you'll see how it shakes out OKC, they got two major pieces at 212, and even at 34, you could still scrap up some type of value. So for me, this is kind of one of those mini trades, but it helps kind of open the door and let you see where OKC is at in terms of their rotation. And even with this trade, they still have a lot of questions to consider because this moves them to 16 current players and three draft picks on deck that in all likelihood they are taking and bringing on to training camp. So I'm going to go into the roster situation in one second here, kind of how that all works and who would be at the top of the cut list if you're going into training camp right now. But first, I want to let you guys know about a very special offer going on with my good friends over at DraftKings sportsbook are you ready for the nba champs to be crowned join the nba finals action with DraftKings sportsbook an official sports betting partner of the nba new customers can make any five dollar nba bet and get 150 dollars in free bets instantly 
Looking to turn another small bet into a big payday during the NBA Finals? With a DraftKings same-game parlay, you can do just that. This NBA season, a customer placed a $5 same-game parlay and won over $5,000. Create your own parlay by combining multiple bets like which team will win, total threes made, total rebounds, and more, and boom, you have a shot at an even bigger payout. Here's what you have to do for the offer. Go ahead and download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code TBPN. Make any $5 bet during the NBA Finals and get $150 in free bets instantly. That's promo code TBPN only at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details. NBA Finals Game 5 going down tonight in San Francisco. We'll see how this one shakes up. I was actually excited to see this one go to the Warriors in the last game. What an effort by Steph Curry. That's got to be up there in terms of just his like career performances. Not much of anything was rolling for that Warriors team. Draymond was having one of the worst nights in his career. <laughs> having to get pulled out middle of that fourth quarter. Klay Thompson was very inconsistent for the majority of that game. Jordan Poole was excellent, but in stretches. And they just needed somebody to kind of bring them to the promised land. Steph Curry went out of his mind multiple times. He's just getting completely clocked on shots, but still hitting them. End up riding off into the sunset with that win. I'm a basketball fan. Like, I want to see as most... NBA action as possible so this being a tied series is beautiful ideally you just see them switch back and forth again and game seven is a go more basketball more fun here if this was an elimination game I'd be rooting for the Warriors just based on the fact that I want to see more games now you can kind of be at that neutral ground and root for whoever you so choose and you know for you guys Gives you some storylines to base off of if you're going to go on DraftKings Sportsbook leading into the game. Very interested in Kevon Looney, though. He was an absolute monster in the last round. Still has been in this round. Curious if there would be a double-double in the cards tonight. Anyways, though, I want to get into the Thunders roster. Kind of their current situation and what this team looks like with the addition of Jermichael Green how the roster might shift a little bit here. The beauty of this is because the team is now in the offseason, once you cross that checkpoint at July 1st, if they do this before July 1st, they might actually have to waive somebody. I'm not entirely sure here. Um, But after July 1st, you can have, you know, 20 guys on roster just based on like training camp size. And then you'll have to kind of make decisions after that. So, Depending on when this deal is finalized, this doesn't have to be a problem in the now. If they choose to make this uh, transaction and it gets officialized now, you have to cut somebody. But speaking, it, it doesn't have to be put on the front end of everything. You can throw this on the back burner and kind of have some decisions to make later on. You still have to waive somebody, though, and this eats a contract away from someone else. If you're keeping Jermichael Green, of course. And the team has 15 players. You have one guaranteed two-way contract 
and Lindy Waters. The other one's going to Melvin Frazier Jr. right now, and I don't think they would pick up that QO. He was hanging around for basically a week and a half, and Olivier Saar was really good on his two-way deal. That would have been a, a QO, um, maybe over you know what you had in Melvin Frazier. Anyways, though, when you're looking at this roster, I'd say there are 10 guys that are, are basically set in stone, and one of them I think is actually a trade piece, so he could get moved out. But it's SGA, Giddy, Dort, Bays, JRE, Trey Mann, Kenrich Williams, Aaron Wiggins, Alexei Pogoshevsky, and Derek Favors. And Favors, due to that expiring contract, is going to be someone that you might try to send off during draft day. It's very similar to the situation with Michael Green. Old, not old, but they're seasoned vets, right? Like Favors, he's in his 30s. Green's in his 30s. For a playoff contender looking to get some fill-in at the four, either of those two makes some sense. And now Favors is even playing up to the five spot. But those two, I don't think you just immediately burn. Next five guys are kind of the interesting cases. And it's Teo, Ty Jerome, Viet Krejci, Mike Muscala, and Isaiah Roby. I don't think Muscala should be included on this either. I'm just breaking him up into fives. With his contract and with him sticking around, if the team you know keeps him up, um, he's going to stick around just due to the veteran leadership he has. And because sounds like he loves Oklahoma City. Same goes for Kenny Hustle. And Derek Favors has even said that he's enjoyed his time in Bricktown. Kind of moves that board to four, though, with Teo, Ty, Veet, and Isaiah Roby. I'm going to move Roby off the list. I don't think that he is in the immediate fire, but he's kind of on the outside looking in. reason I say this is just in terms of minutes and who would get just time on the roster. Roby is always the man looking like on the outside looking in and it sucks for him because he actually does have pretty good performances and he's shown the ability to shoot from the top of the key slash to the basket and he's had to play at the five for most of his tenure in OKC which was not his calling card in college he wasn't playing the five and you kind of expect him to be a three or four so he got just pushed up to the five spot due to need almost and you've never been able to see him at that natural position. And due to how OKC is drafted, it's hard to see them give him that opportunity. They already have Dort playing three minutes. Kenrich Williams, Aaron Wiggins, they could be shuffled up to the three spot. Darius Baisley and Alexei Pogoshevsky are man in the four. Might leave you a sliver of minutes, but this is before draft picks and this is before Jamichael Green potentially being in this roster spot. It makes him someone that's barely out of the rotation yet again. And it's silly because every time he plays, he seems to be a solid contributor. But when you're in the playoffs, are you realistically playing Isaiah Roby in the five spot? I don't think so. You have to play him down. But you haven't gotten enough reps there. And... I don't know if um, if they have the minutes to do so. I think he's a good role player, and some team would get a steal if Roby is waived. Uh, and if you get him on a minimum contract, that's going to be awesome as your back-end rotation forward. It's just a, a hard fit right now that I would say. Still think he's saved, though, because he does add 
a good amount of value in the three through five spot that OKC sort of is still in need of. What they already have is the backcourt positions. And with draft picks at their disposal, they very well could get another guard. They have SGA, Giddy, and Mann as that one, two, and three for the guard spots. And just as we mentioned, there's the flex guys in Aaron Wiggins and Kenrich Williams. So they can play the two or the three. And then you get into just that backlog of guards. And these are the three that fill out the kind of hot seat here. It's Ty Jerome, Teo, and Veet. There's many different cases for all three on why they would be first to go. I think they're still all right there as guys that be hard to keep around on the roster. Um, but especially if you're getting someone at 12 that's a guard, or if for some reason Jaden Ivey's the pick at two, it's just very hard to envision them playing. And there's just way too many guards that are very young to be kind of keeping around. You'd have to play them in the in like a development system. And honestly, I think the only one that could still need that is Veet. Teo has shown he's pretty good at the G League level. And Ty Jerome, you know, he's 24 going on 25 years old. Don't think he'd want to be playing in the G in his expiring contract year. So I think Ty is probably first on that pecking order. And then Malinone and Veet are sort of interchangeable on the two or three spot. I say Jerome first, which could be financially the worst option here because he is fully guaranteed. He was a first round pick out of Virginia and his fourth season basically doubles his contract. He was making around $2 million last year. He's making $4.2 million this upcoming season. All guaranteed. If you waive that, you are basically throwing 4.2 in the incinerator. Is there a fit for him, though, on this team? I think if you compare him to someone like Teo, Jerome has a better off-ball ability when it comes to catch and shoots. But the issue is, he really didn't show that at a very high level when he got to play this year, and that's what puts him kind of on high alert because he didn't really cement himself in that category. He shot 29% from three this season on about four attempts in his rookie campaign, shot 28%, albeit on low totals. And his first season, he was actually pretty good. He shot 42% from distance. Really smart passer at the top of the key. I don't know if he gets enough reps like that with the current structure of this rotation, though. And that's kind of where you lie at it. If you're not entirely bought in on his shot, which he's been up and down, that's where he ultimately gets axed. Very smart passer, though, and you could see, yet again, another team looking to tap into that area. It's just hard to place him on a team like the Thunder that is just constantly retooling, and after this expiring season, I don't think they'd pick him up with a qualifying offer because that qualifying offer would be pretty nasty, Um, and then matching an offer or continuing that just doesn't necessarily make the most sense for Teo. He is the easiest option to get rid of. There's no money attached. He's fully non-guaranteed in his contract. He just turned 21 though, and he's definitely shown flashes. He had a good rookie year. I think that 
Obviously, he had more reps than most second-rounders in the draft class. But that doesn't take away from you know some of the skills we saw. Very good cross-court passer in the pick-and-roll situation. He did a nice job in those reads. And when he was the minute leader at the end of the season, he was viewed as a potential six-man type of player, not someone that just was given minutes at the head of the tank race. He was viewed as like that second-round gym. I still think he has potential. In terms of efficiency, he's not been great. His floater has not had the same touch as it did in years prior, and that sucks because he has a nice floater. He's very good at navigating the pick-and-roll, and off of those dribble penetrations he's good at scanning the whole court to find you know passes at the corners wings and virtually anywhere he just didn't really produce enough and if OKC is looking to go full steam ahead and they want to have that premier roster I don't think Teo is the number four right now I think Wiggins is or Kendrick Williams is and at number five it's a very awkward spot I'd still have him above Ty Jerome just based on the potential, but for both of them, it's hard to envision that consistent role that they were able to have in prior seasons. And for Veet, it's very much of the same, where I don't think the minutes would be consistent every year, but I think one more year of him before having that decision makes the most sense. He was dealing with injuries this season. He obviously tore his ACL with Zaragoza, in 2020 and that's why he didn't play during his draft year had to rehab in Oklahoma City from like January until tip-off time basically um but you want to see a full season of him healthy came down with an ankle sprain in the G League showcase and was out a couple months he had very good moments with the Oklahoma City Blue where he wasn't just a good assist man because the most value from him is that he's a six foot eight distributor and he has a pretty decent handle as well also a, a very solid rebounder and he sometimes showed that he can knock down some shots as well like there was reason to like him in very various facets at the g league level and i'll say this i think that a lot of people when look, looking at the g league see the top scorers and say that they're immediately, you know, the next guys getting the call-ups. The players that get the call-ups in the G League are not the ones going for crazy stats. A good example is Lindy Waters. What did he do? He did an excellent job in the catch-and-shoot department and going off of some of these, like, stagger screens to get open. Another guy that was in the conversation for the Thunder and Blue was Rob Edwards. He got a 10-day contract and... You know, he was the more flashy player than Lindy Waters. In terms of on-ball skills, Edwards is a better player. In terms of shot creation, Edwards is a better player. The problem is when you get into some of the other areas like defensive ability and what your actual role is going to be projecting into the NBA. For Rob Edwards, a lot of his three-point shots were like transition pull-ups, isolations where he had a really high usage. In the NBA... And for what the Thunder need, they don't need a high-usage microwave guard. He can still put up points in a jiffy, don't get me wrong. But for what they need, someone like Waters makes more sense. And when I look at players in the G League that check boxes but, you know, aren't like 
trying to run the show in usage, Veet was one of them, where he was just a very nice complimentary piece. And that's something that uh, kind of gives you a look when you are trying to envision how they might project to the next level. Because he he did an excellent job finding teammates in transition. Even in the half court, he was gunning off some nice passes. And the rebounding was sound. And he was up and down in terms of scoring. But it was there. Due to his frame and due to those highlight reels, I think it's worth another year where he would probably be a blue guy yet again just to kind of get that feeling out process again. But that's not uncommon for what this Thunder rebuild has been like. Alexei Pokashevsky had to play in the G League for two seasons just because... He didn't have consistency. And and what do you know? Both times he went down in the G League, he returned, and he was a much better player. Other cases could go for that, where they played guys like Ty Jerome in the bubble after he got injured. Teo Maladon had some reps in the G League. So did Trey Mann. Aaron Wiggins started out there. It's a very good starting place for these prospects in order to develop them. So I think he is... Three, because there is still a lot more questions surrounding him. Now, he's also 21 years old. He also is in this camp where it's not a lot of guaranteed money, and next year it's entirely non-guaranteed. But there's another season attached after this as well to where if he plays above his contract level, you can tack him on again, or you can let go of him with no cost. So that's why I got beat in that spot where in terms of minutes, He might not be able to get NBA time, but in terms of development, there's a lot more that you could tap into. So that's the way I have it assorted on my board. If you guys have a different take on it, make sure to let me know. You guys can hit me up on my Twitter at Ben Kreider or go to the pod's Twitter at ThunderstickPod. Anyways, though, guys, that is going to wrap it up for today's episode. Going to have a draft scouting report on Chet Holmgren tomorrow, so make sure to look out to that but other than that though guys that is going to do it for today's episode i thank you all for listening and i'll talk to you all next time see ya